0: What we aim to do is end systemic oppression in education, utilizing sort of group-based mindfulness practices, but also engaging with the adult populations that create the environment that our students are learning in.
1: Welcome to Solutions, a podcast produced by Soul Academy. Solutions gives everyday teachers and educators the floor to discuss their experience with education, their struggles, and their strategies for solving them. From culturally responsive education to the future of online learning, the floor is yours. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Solutions Podcast. I'm Beau McCoy. Here we highlight a 15-minute solution, something positive that can work in education. And today I have a great guest. Uh, Her name is Kristen Calabria. She's the head of the Bridge Lab. Kristen, it's wonderful to have you.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So tell us a little bit about your background and and any experience you have in working with education so our listeners can get a little familiar with you.
0: Absolutely. So I started working uh, in schools really as a teaching artist. My undergraduate degree is in acting. Um, And when I was in university, I would go into public schools in Boston through a theater company and do theater arts education in a group setting. And as I then moved into other parts of my career, I became a yoga teacher and was doing yoga and mindfulness practices for a high school in the Bronx twice a week after school for about three years. And working with that uh, population really inspired me to start my nonprofit, The Bridge. And what we aim to do is end systemic oppression in education, utilizing sort of group-based mindfulness practices, but also engaging with the adult populations that create the environment that our students are learning in. And so we're very interested in utilizing the knowledge of the body and reintegrating people to sort of the way that we communicate with ourselves and with each other.
1: I love that. And it's wonderful. And for our listeners who are not familiar, maybe talk a little bit about your scientific background and and why you think this is such a good thing for parents and teachers and students.
0: Absolutely. So I also, I feel like I wear a million hats a day. I'm like, who am I going to show up as today? Um, But I'm a yoga teacher, a mindfulness teacher. I'm also a marriage and family therapist. And so the work that I do as a therapist um, stemmed from a lot of the trauma informed work that I was doing as a yoga teacher. And what I found uh, working with both adult and youth populations was, was that, trauma is stored in the body. And when we are stuck in these body patterns of our remembered experiences, it inhibits us from learning, from creatively addressing problems, um, from collaborating. And if we can sort of unstick the patterns in the body and do what I call bottom-up regulation or bottom-up work, it makes us more available to do sort of the top-down processing, the cognitive work um, that we need to change the circumstances that we're in.
1: So the trauma is stored somewhere in the body and that's the concept of bottom up and then dealing with that and processing it and being able to move on comes from the mind down. Is that, is that the concept?
0: Absolutely. So there's a lot, you know, in traditional therapy, I think when people think about talk therapy or therapy in general, they think about sort of CBT. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of my trauma in a narrative fashion. And for some people that works, but particularly if this, if the trauma that you um, experienced happened as a young person, before we really have that full availability of our executive functioning, our prefrontal cortex. Uh, what ends up happening is that it's harder to verbalize that it's harder to verbalize the trauma experience. And so if we can work from the body first and work from the memory stored in the body, it opens up the pathway to then explore that through a cognitive way.
1: I love that. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I always think about, you know, my earliest memories are generally I'm like five or six years old. And I say to people, if you were trapped in a house with some people, for five years and they always said the same things and they did the same things, you'd probably believe that to be true. But that's what our early childhood is like for all of us. So, wow, I just realized, you know, a lot of things are stored in the body and not necessarily in the, in the memory.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially for young people where our, we're still learning how to make sense of our worlds. And most of how we're doing that is through the lens of our primary caregivers. So if we're thinking about not only sort of these acute instances of trauma, like a car accident or um, a natural disaster, but more More in terms of developmental trauma, which might be anything um, like abuse or neglect or living in a really dangerous neighborhood and watching uh, violence happen in front of you. If that's the way that you're learning to experience the world, it sort of sets a young person up to live in a state of hypervigilance, of expecting danger at every turn. And. Uh, the research shows that as a child or as an adult, when we are in a prolonged state of hypervigilance, um, or as we call it, SNS hyperarousal, that we are not able to make the best choices for ourselves.
1: Yeah, because you're you on edge and you're kind of defensive, right? You're, you're expecting something bad to happen. I've done some reading about how boredom really spurs creativity. And mm-hmm. so I sometimes will try purposely to be bored and not do anything. And then all of a sudden you have this rush of, rush of in, uh, inspiration or creativity. Something just comes into your mind and you've got to do that. But if you're constantly on edge and looking for something bad to happen, it's harder to have those, those inspiration points.
0: Absolutely. It's kind of like a... I call them shower thoughts when you're in the shower and you're like very relaxed and you're like, oh, I just figured out how to solve this problem that's been nagging at me for like three weeks. But that's sort of the opposite state of what a young person or even adult will live in if they've sort of lived through developmental trauma.
1: Yeah. Now with a lot of students being at home, their exposure to these sorts of events is much higher than it was when they were going to school. And I'm pretty concerned personally about, you know, what condition are students going to be in when they do go back to school regularly? And so maybe you could talk a little bit about a solution. You know, if you're a concerned student, a parent, teacher, uh, what are some easy things that that you could do? Maybe not easy, but what are some things that you could do to help with that situation?
0: So, When I'm working with my clients, um, I work in a school-based setting. So this is something that I encounter every day uh, with all of the young people that I work with. Um, They're coming into session with varying amounts of what I call dysregulation. So either they're emotionally dysregulated, their emotions are all over the place, their self-regulation is sort of off, they're not able to kind of choose what they're focusing on, um, they get distracted really easily, which are all sort of symptoms of prolonged stressful environments like we're living in right now with COVID-19. And one of the first things that we'll do is go to the body uh, to help us down regulate um, SNS hyperarousal, sympathetic nervous system hyperarousal. And so the way that we do that, it kind of varies depending on Uh, each client or each student. Um, But really simple sort of meditation practices or restorative yoga practices can can help to alleviate sort of those symptoms of prolonged stress, um, like an accelerated heartbeat or racing thoughts um, or feeling fidgety or agitated. And so just three really simple things that I like to do. The first one is um, it's child's pose, but with your hands, uh, reaching back behind you and cupping your heels with your hands. So I call it folded leaf, but a lot of uh, the kids like to call it egg because they feel like a little egg. And it's a very lovely and safe place to be. Um, so especially if a young person is more anxious, they're, they're feeling like all over the place. They can't sit down. They can't sit still. Their thoughts are racing. Um, that can be a really nice way to just help ground them. And there's sort of this compression of your front body against your thighs. And that also helps to downregulate the nervous system. In conjunction with that, uh, we call it mindful breathing. So eyes are closed and you're feeling your belly breath happen and you're taking a deep belly breath in and you're also exhaling all of the air out of your belly. So especially for the younger kids, like um, sort of elementary school age, imaging it as like a balloon is filling up your belly, and then the balloon is deflating is really helpful. And then I found this particularly helpful, like for myself, um, as I was sort of moving through my own healing process is that stillness really didn't work for me. I was being asked to be still all the time, and I can really empathize with our students now who are asked to sit in front of a computer, and just be there for like eight hours a day. You know, young people, their bodies are made to move and they're made to express themselves physically. And so what I found the most helpful for me was really mindful movement. Um, And so if I'm working with a group of students, I'll ask them like what their favorite song is. And then we'll kind of make a playlist of songs and we'll turn on, I'll just choose a random song every week. We'll turn on the song and for whatever that three minutes and 45 seconds, we're doing really mindful movement that can be as simple as like jumping up and down as if you were jumping over a jump rope, shaking out your arms, shaking out your legs so that we're physically releasing those stuck patterns in the body um, and then coming back down to a still place so that we can re-engage with each other.
1: Well I love that. So I have a, a three-year-old nephew and he's his favorite song is I like to move it, move it. <laughs> 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 so we put that on, he sings and he dances and you're you're right. It's just that release for him. Now I have a question like a lot of people when they think about you know restorative processes, when they think about therapy, when they think about meditation, they think it has to be a static thing. You know, I'm sitting, my legs are crossed, or I'm laying on a couch and I'm talking to a doctor. So can you address that concept of how movement um, can be used in, in these practices? And is it as effective as, you know, what people traditionally think of?
0: Absolutely. So uh In terms of mindfulness in general, just, I would say a basic definition of mindfulness is purposefully placing a person's attention on a specific thing. So that could be, I'm purposefully placing my attention on my breath. It could be, I'm purposefully placing my attention on Um, washing the dishes or gardening or cleaning, uh, but it does not have to be like a stagnant or still process. So for example, the yoga practice would be considered a mindfulness practice, but there's a lot of movement that happens Uh, within that practice. You just happen to be focusing very specifically on the movement that your body is doing and the breath inside of the body. Uh, so first rumor of mindfulness dispelled. The To address the second part of your question, there is um, a, an up and coming, I would say way of navigating trauma and trauma in young people, in adult populations that uh, is called somatic experiencing or somatic work. And in this type of work, The actual story of what happened to a person, the trauma that they experienced is not the most important part of the work. It's more about addressing and and finding the places of stuck impulses in the body, and then allowing the body to naturally release those impulses So I think of, for example, if somebody feels like they are stuck and they need to hide, they might hug their knees up to their chest, shoulders up and sort of like curl up into a small ball. And that is sort of a stuck impulse, right? We start to um, turn inward and in and down as if we're being attacked. And if we can release those impulses a lot of times it will look like i'm running away or i'm fighting back or i'm i'm reclaiming my physical agency in some way and physically playing out that story can be a really strong way to start the healing process so that a person can cognitively explore what that trauma meant to them and how they can be more than just that traumatic experience
1: Wow, that's really powerful. So the, you know, the physical position that you're in, I'm also guessing the environment that you're in, um, have a big effect on how you feel and, and, and the thoughts that might come up.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So sort of in like the CBT structure, right? It's uh, the thoughts we have, create the feelings that we feel and then those create actions or behaviors in the world. So that's sort of the top-down model. And that works um, well for some people when they're sort of trying to address issues that they're facing in their lives. Um, But again, a lot of us, it's hard to, to engage with that cognitive process first. And so if we move the other way up the ladder, the way that my body is, the way that I'm physically showing up in space is, um, determining a lot of the emotions that I'm feeling, which is then determining the thoughts that I'm thinking. Um, for those of us who we like live in physical bodies, we can access our physical body. We can change our physical body or the actions that we're doing, the way that we're physically expressing ourselves. And then it can ripple up the chain, emotions and then thoughts.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So this has been phenomenal. I'd be, like many great solutions here. You know, think about yourself is really what I'm what I'm taking away. And, and there's no limit to what age you can do this. Right. It starts at very young into any age. right?
0: Absolutely. And especially the young people like um, kinder through five, their their language is sort of physical expression and play. So the more we can engage them in a whole bodied play, the more they'll be able to open up and and maybe pinpoint different emotional experiences that they're having.
1: Yeah. And the only hard part is getting them to stop because with my nephew, he just, I just get worn out, you know. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I
0: don't want
1: to play anymore. <laughs> uh, so this has been wonderful. So if people are interested in learning more, please tell us, you know, where can they go for resources and how do they get in touch with you and, and the organization?
0: Uh, absolutely. So our website is thebridgelab.org and you can get in touch with me at kristin at thebridgelab.org.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Stop recording. Thanks so much for making it to the end. If you loved the episode today, click subscribe and share it with your friends. Know someone who would be the perfect guest? Shoot us an email at hello at soulcademy.com. Catch you in the next one.